0: Hello! And
1: welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
0: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your questions on generous family wanting to celebrate your very private wedding, repeated dealings with gluten-free issues among friends, presents and parties for twins, and a mother-in-law who wants to rename her daughter-in-law on a baby shower invitation.
0: Plus, your most excellent feedback, Etiquette Salute, and a postscript segment on men and women stepping out together from the 1922 edition of Etiquette.
1: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about preferred pronouns and whether or not you should ask for them on an invitation.
0: All that, coming up.
1: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm
0: Dan Post-Senning.
1: Listeners, we are starting the show off today with an apology. We are apologizing to all of you, but very specifically to our sustaining members. Our sustaining member website is hosted on a platform called Teachable. And unfortunately, we have had a slight glitch in that platform, which Dan is going to tell you about in a minute. But we both wanted to issue you a sincere, we are so sorry that this is happening. It has taken much longer to fix than we anticipated. And it is not the experience that we want our sustaining members who we value so much to have on our site. We want you to have good experiences and be excited to come here and share with your friends and tell them that they should sign up. Um, And this site has just unfortunately had this technical glitch, and we are so sorry that you are experiencing it right now. And hopefully by the time this show actually airs, it will be fixed. But Dan, can you tell us what exactly has been going on? Because it's a little unnerving when you see this message pop up.
0: Double, triple, (laughs) fingers crossed that it is actually fixed by the time yeah. you're hearing this. And what we're talking about is the site, awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com, where people go to become sustaining members, to get ads-free versions of the shows, and to listen to the bonus content, the extra question that we record each week for sustaining members. I don't want to get too technical. I'm trying to figure out a way to <laughs> make this a storytelling experience because it's it's not terribly technical. and.
1: Well, sites are secure, right? And in order to be proven secure, sites have what are called certificates. And something has gone wrong with our certificate, even though from everything everyone's telling us at both our host and our our platform is that our site is secure and your your information is safe. But it's really unnerving when the first thing that pops up when you go to these sites is...
0: Access denied, this site has been configured improperly, is the, the message that people have been getting when they try to visit both our e-learning courses and our sustaining member website. And unfortunately, those are not hosted on our server. And this is where I'm going to go right down into the trenches, the technical nitty-gritty of Emily Post where I get to spend some of my work hours.
1: <laughs> Dan's joking. Dan spends a lot of his work hours in the back ends of our site. <laughs>
0: the certificates that our teaching platform manage automatically renew about every three months. And for some reason, our certificate did not renew. And I have been spending a lot of time with technical support, both at our domain registrar and our hosting company and the company that hosts our e-learning and sustaining member content. And They're having a hard time figuring it out. We don't think our site has been hacked or compromised. It hasn't been configured improperly, as the message states. There is a certificate that has some sort of conflict that is not renewing. And I continue to get very encouraging and promising emails from escalating levels of technical support at our hosting company saying they are working on this. They are working hard. They are working to get it fixed. We do know it has been problematic because we've heard from some of you who use the site and enjoy it. And if you use the site and you haven't experienced this, and I am guessing there's a few of you out there also, some browsers are configured not to be stalled when they don't see this kind of security certificate. Some browsers are more – I don't want to call them –
1: Flexible maybe?
0: Some are more Flexible. Just I was going to say your
1: words for you. I was going mean... <laughs> to say picky on the
0: other end of the spectrum, but
1: you know, flexible, picky. <laughs> choose your choose your adjectives.
0: I kind of like picky browsers. <laughs> I like browsers that warn me when yeah. sites might not be secure. Sure. And my browser definitely told me there was a problem with this. And I certainly would not feel comfortable visiting a site that gave me this kind of warning. In fact, I probably wouldn't. So, I understand the confusion, the concern that we heard from some of the people that access our content this way. Usually this sort of thing gets fixed in a day or two. This has taken weeks. It has stymied some of the people that are usually good at fixing this kind of thing, the people that I turn to when I get in over my head technically on a website.
1: Again, we are so sorry that this issue has been plaguing us for over a month now. We hope that you sustaining members will stick with us, and please know that your information is safe with us and that our website is safe. Um, so if you if you want to move over to a uh, less picky browser, you might be able to actually get through and get in. But until then, we are working diligently to fix the issue, and we thank you all for your support uh, during this time and for sticking with us throughout it.
0: And we'll definitely let you know when things are running smoothly again, and we'll get back to encouraging everyone to visit post.com and to think about becoming a sustaining member. They really are a huge, huge support for what we do here, and we appreciate all our sustaining members so much.
1: Let's get out of the trenches and into some questions. What do you think, cousin?
0: I could do some content in my life. Let's do it.
1: Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y. W-O-R-T-H com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now, back to our show.
0: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, do remember to put sustaining member in your message. Your bonus question will be there for you when the site is working again.
1: Our first question is titled, Eloping but
0: <laughs> Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am recently engaged and my fiance and I are planning to have a private ceremony with no guests in attendance. Based upon your advice offered in episode number 233, we have happily informed family of our decision. However, several family members have mentioned still wanting to send a gift, and my sister and our good friend would like to throw a bridal shower. These things never crossed my mind, since we are going a non-traditional route for the ceremony. Would it be inappropriate to create a registry for when people asked, or should we politely decline? Should I allow my sister and friend to throw a bridal shower? I definitely don't want anyone to be disappointed or think of me as tacky. Thanks for your help, confused bride.
1: Oh, confused bride. This is one to tread very carefully with. It's uh it's really important to balance this well because you've decided on a completely private ceremony and I titled this eloping but I don't I don't think of people who plan a private ceremony as thinking different. of it as eloping versus people who literally just decide one night to take off go ditch the wedding and or you know not have the wedding at all and just get married on the spot it's like there there is sort of a haste to the difference between the two And it creates
0: some different etiquette. This is a a planned, no-ceremony wedding.
1: This is a planned, no-ceremony wedding, and... That might result in you ending up having the belated reception party that we often talk about that happens to a lot of folks who plan such a private ceremony. They just find that family and friends so want to be a part of this and so want to celebrate them that they kind of can't get out of doing some kind of a backyard barbecue or cookies and punch or a cocktail party or something. So don't be surprised. You'd be in the company of many if you went that option. But it does get really Interesting when you have all these wonderfully well wishing family and close friends who want to do some of the more traditional things for you. Now, you can either decline and say, you know, our, our whole point in having a private ceremony was really to not go the traditional route or to do these different uh, customs that are really typical. But I want to thank you so much for offering. It's so kind. And that could be one way to just get out of all of it. But And this is where it gets a little tricky because you're choosing not to invite people to a ceremony and you're choosing to then not try and invite them and ask them for gifts to other things, which is great. But now they're turning around and saying, oh, but But
0: we're going to do it.
1: We want to do this. We want to celebrate you. But I think that. There are a couple things I do want to advise. I don't think you should create a registry for this. I think that the registry starts to imply that enough people have asked or you're expecting enough people to do the gift thing and it kind of it it kind of becomes like This is really going to sound really funny, but it kind of becomes an issue of convenience, and this type of convenience I don't think falls into the polite category. When you're inviting someone to this big party and these big events, and big, I mean, you know, whatever size they happen to be, like, it makes sense to have that registry and kind of the one place for everyone to go, and when you're not inviting them to the big main event, it starts to feel a little, like, you're not having a technical wedding celebration the way most people do, and it starts to look a little bit um, fill-in-the-blank with whatever adjective feels right.
0: Presumptuous.
1: Presumptuous, something like that. When you then, oh, but we do have a registry, and even with the, so many of you have asked, and so we thought we would put this together, it starts to make it feel like maybe those who didn't ask should have. And it starts to just become a little awkward. So I say no registry. Instead, the hosts of these parties, should you be offered more than, than the bridal shower, I would communicate with them really closely about things that might be good. Also remember that you could do a well-wishing shower, which is one where people just bring their thoughts for you and their wishes of well for you on a card, and that might be a way to take the gifts out of it. You can do different themes for showers that I think really apply to that, like you know advice for different areas of the home, advice for different times in your marriage, things like that, that can be sometimes even more meaningful than the actual gift. So consider a different kind of alternative theme for your shower. If you do end up going the gift route, um, really pass that information through very close family and friends and say, oh, you know, Beth has been doing such a great job at letting folks know what we might like, but we didn't feel comfortable putting together a registry. I hope you'll understand. That's a really great way to deal with this. And remember, people can go off registry for gifts anyway, and if they really want to get you a gift, I think they're going to know you well enough to just get you a gift, um, and you can trust in that.
0: I like your idea of employing Beth, I think she was in the sample <laughs> I script. I think Beth, yes. <laughs> I think that word-of-mouth family friends network can be a big help for you in this. It's. I was thinking of it as my almost sneaky answer mm-hmm. to don't have an official registry, but it's okay to tell a couple of the better communicators in your small circles – about the kinds of things you're thinking. Yes, we are setting up a house. No, we're not setting up a house. Yes, we love these hobbies. We have these interests. No, we're, schemes, yeah. we're really all set in the mountain climbing department. <laughs> we like to purchase our own gear. Whatever whatever it is that, that would be some useful direction. Because the whole idea behind that registry is that you're helping someone out. That you're making an effort to make their job as a guest easier because they're not a guest you don't want to be playing that role, but
1: good way to describe it, Dano
0: the impulse to try to be helpful if someone wants that help, I think is a good one, and finding that as my cousin put it, sort of fine line to walk doing that is going to require some care and some tact the The positive version of not being tacky maybe it's being
1: tactful <laughs>
0: and that that family friend network can help deliver those messages in a way that is. Appropriate, And I really like that sample script language of we really didn't feel comfortable setting up a registry. But I happen to know that they are really looking forward to their new kitchen, whatever that message might be. I also like that idea of the theme of the shower. The shower really is for those close family and friends. So those people are going to be able to have those conversations.
1: Speaking of the guests, our last thought for this, uh, for this question is you really want to be sure that the guests you invite or that your sister and, and best friend invite to this shower – are 100% on board, will not be offended, completely understand the circumstances, that all of a sudden it's not changed, that there's going to be a wedding. Um, But it's really important that almost, almost that those guests are vetted first and you really take people's... This is a real platinum rule kind of situation where you really want to think about the other person and how they might... Receive an invitation to an event like this before you actually invite them. You want to make sure you're not going to cause any offense. So this is literally your nearest and dearest.
0: One last, last, last thing we yes. have to say. Congratulations. Yes! <laughs> we hope that however the planning proceeds that it goes smoothly. in love, honey.
1: But Larry, I wanted a church wedding and all the parties and showers for me too and my folks, that would break mom's heart.
0: Well, we're the ones that are getting married, not your
1: folks. I don't know, Larry. Our next question is titled, Gluten-Free for Real. I have a few friends who want to be helpful but make me feel uncomfortable when discussing foods I can or cannot eat or restaurants I cannot dine at. They will often ask if I can eat a certain food or eat at a certain restaurant, to which I often reply, no, because of the very sensitive nature of celiac disease. Instead of accepting my response, they often reply, really, are you sure? Believe me, I'm sure. I think about my gluten intolerance every meal of every day and have fully researched many options. I think their questions come from good intentions as they want me to be included and enjoy meals and activities with the group. How can I politely respond when they question my knowledge of the disease I have and deal with every day? Is there something I can say to help reduce the amount of times they ask such questions in the future? I appreciate them taking the time to learn more about my condition, but I'm getting frustrated with feeling like they do not take it seriously." Thank you for taking the time to read this email and for your advice. Sincerely, gluten-free, yes, I'm sure.
0: Oh, gluten-free, I have so much sympathy for this question. When the gluten-free diet became very popular, we heard from people who were faced with this kind of questioning and confusion. And one of the pieces of advice that I really liked giving at the time was telling people to be honest about their food allergies. Were they really food allergies or were they food preferences? Because... There were people like you for whom this isn't a preference, this isn't a choice. The impacts and the effects were real, and this is a really good reminder of that. And it's a reminder to all of us to really hold ourselves accountable to those standards of honesty.
1: But I think this is exactly why this becomes so hard. This happens to be a disease that also a lot of people personally found health benefits for or wanted to move in the direction of this type of diet. And so you have almost this, like, tendency of people to be over it when it comes to gluten-free and like, ugh, you're not really gluten-free, you know what I mean? And it's like this very dismissive nature. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly why our listener with celiac is receiving these kind of blasé type, uh, people aren't really paying too much attention to it, reactions, yeah?
0: Absolutely. So this social reality that you're acknowledging has run up against another core tenet for good etiquette, which is that ultimately safety is more important than social niceties and norms that when you're talking about something that impacts you the way this can impact you, you might have the latitude to step outside some of the normal social conventions to express that to people. I don't
1: know. Wait a minute. Like, have the latitude to be jerks about it? I don't think so. Well, no. Okay, thank you for clarifying. There is
0: still etiquette flavor (laughs) to be applied. There is a a dosage to the seasoning that we want to add. But I do also (laughs) think that you can be firm, you can be clear. It's not your responsibility to take people into all the intimate and gory details of your health. You don't have to tell people exactly what happens if you deviate from your diet, if that's not something that you want to share. But you can use your tone and the way that you communicate to express the seriousness as well as the language that you decide to employ. And I'm even going to go so far, and usually it's my cousin Lizzie who's doing this, as to say (laughs) that it's okay to say, I really want to communicate this with you clearly so that it's not a discussion that we have to continue to have. That this is a serious thing for me. And. I deal with it every day. I deal with it every time I eat. And it's not helpful to have to reaffirm and reassert that every time I make plans.
1: And like usual, I would say that's probably a conversation I wouldn't have in the moment when someone mentions, oh, can you really not give them your best? I really can't. Would love it if we could pick another place. I think that 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 in the moment gets you to where you need to be. But I would think about contacting this group of friends and saying, hey, guys, there is something I wanted to discuss with you. I hope you're you're open to hearing it. Like, and I then, like
0: your language better it, than mine, well, as, no, but as is often the, the case. Per, but no, it's... but
1: this is the ask permission part, you know, which is what you always taught me is ask permission to have this conversation. And I don't think I would do it via text message, like group text message. I think it's something I might try and have as a one-on-one conversation and saying things like, i 'm hoping you can help me out. I know that my celiac disease is a bit confusing, and i 've definitely had a roller coaster of a time or a heck of a time you know learning about it and figuring it out it for myself but i 've noticed that I feel really defeated whenever we start talking about where we might go out to eat and And if I say no to a certain place, I really mean it because I've researched it and I know it's not a safe place for me to eat. And I know they don't have anything on the menu that's going to be safe for me to eat. And I think whenever people come back and say things like, oh, are you sure? Oh, really? But it's so good. Trust me, I know all the good I'm missing out on. And it kind of just makes it a bit worse every time I have to say no to go through that again. I'm hoping that you guys will just understand that if I've researched it, I've researched it. And I'm bummed about it, too.
0: I was thinking about ways to prepare for that conversation. It's
1: not an easy one.
0: No. And a couple of things that might be helpful are to have some positive information that you can contribute as well. So these are three, four, five restaurants that really are good options for me and are great places to suggest if there is – some information, a good website, something you can point them to where they can learn a little bit more about what you're dealing with. If there's some if fact sheet that yeah. and again, this is this is options for you to take with you into that conversation if you're interested in sharing that way and if it's something that you think might be helpful for them and they'll read it or not, but it's it, those are those were two things I was thinking of that might be positive contributions to that conversation so that it's not just you saying no.
1: You know, the other version of this question that we get a lot is um, my friend is being so kind and trying to include me in a dinner party that she's having, and she wants to take on my food allergy, my restriction, whatever it is, but I'm not comfortable letting another person do that, because with with celiac, you really can have cross-contamination. There's a lot of easy ways for unintentional gluten to end up in a meal that's really going to make you feel sick later. And so I want to encourage you that if you find yourself in that version of this question, feel confident saying, oh, my gosh, your heart is so in the right place. Thank you so much. I have to be so careful right now. I just, it's so much easier if I just bring a meal that works for me. I do think it's nice when you can to try to bring a meal that kind of fits the theme of the meal that's being cooked. So you could ask, if you don't mind letting me know what you are making, I'll bring something that kind of fits with it so that my meal doesn't look really different from any everyone else's. Or you guys aren't all using chopsticks and I'm using hands or something like that. I can you have know? soup too. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, I can bring a soup. I can bring a salad. I can bring a this, whatever it is. But I think that could be a good strategy, too. Gluten-free, yes, I'm sure. We want to commend you. This is not easy. This is really not easy. Keep at it and know that, for the most part, your friends just aren't in the same situation that you're in, which is why that difference feels so big sometimes. But hopefully, with some good sample scripts, you're going to be able to close that gap and have a really fun time getting together with your friends at all of the gluten-free restaurants in your town.
0: After a month or two of this, Ralph suddenly realized that a slow change had taken place without his noticing it. He found that eating had become fun. What's more, his health was better and he had more pep. He had more fun than he used to and more friends. Our next question is about presents for twins at parties. I have avoided having a friend party for our twin girls. One reason being gifts. This year, I've decided to let them have a party and invite friends. I would rather do without gifts, but they're kids. I have checked Emily Post for etiquette and agree that mentioning no gifts only makes it stand out that much more. But is this still the case with twins? Our girls have shared friends, and I don't want people to feel obligated to bring a gift. Definitely not one for each child. Do I quit micromanaging and let it be what it will be, or are there other options? Thanks, Cassie,
1: Cassie. in short, yes, you <laughs> just let the guests go you know, throw the party, let the guests come and bring gifts as they will. Remember that it's not your job as the host to dictate uh someone else's Uh, Budget Or concerns about budget. If they can't afford the two gifts, they'll say no to the party. It's like this is I feel this is an assumption that I'm making from reading this, but I feel like Cassie feels badly that because there's two celebrants that you would end up with two gifts and it's going to be expensive and what a groan. And at the same time, I'm thinking, but hey, wait a second. Instead of having to go to two separate parties in the same week or month, they get to go to one party. Their budget is their budget, and they will figure out how to divide the gift budget between the two gifts or to get one gift that both girls can participate in and enjoy, which does happen sometimes. I was wondering about that. I think you know if it's truly something that the twins would like and both engage with and enjoy maybe it's a cool crafting kit maybe it's something in this line i think that it would be okay my sister and i at different ages not for birthdays but for christmas which we celebrate we would sometimes get a joint gift meant for both of us we didn't enjoy it any less it was still really cool like, that's my thought, is just throw the party, let the guests figure it out for themselves, and, and don't worry about it.
0: What are your thoughts yeah. on if someone really is better friends with one of the twins than the other? I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in the guest totally. shoes because as a host, I totally agree with your yeah. advice. You You throw the party and... It will proceed, and it really is up to the guest to make the choices. In many ways, I think the harder decisions are for the guest to make when they're thinking about what to do, and keeping a budget so down, getting two gifts, I think it's a great option.
1: Absolutely. A
0: combined gift works. What about if you really are friends with that one and, and not, not so other. much with the other?
1: Okay, so that's when I would use your knowledge and friendship about the one to do a gift that really fits in that, that vein. It's up to you because... We are not ever supposed to know how expensive or inexpensive the gifts that we are given are. It's not our job as the recipient to think about that. Our job is to receive it with the generosity and spirit in which it is given. And so, be that as it may, if if one gift costs a little bit more or is a little bit more tailored to one twin's, likes then i think that you're in in fine territory i think that then you get what you can based on what you know about the other twin but i wouldn't make them so disparagingly different like a single non important baseball card for one girl and you know like an elaborate really cool soccer net set for the other one <laughs> like you know what i mean <laughs> like i wouldn't make them that different but i think that if one is just tailored more to the other's tastes, you're not going to be worrying too much about the price difference.
0: I think I would bring two. The...
1: Oh, well, yeah, you would bring two. Oh, my gosh. No, no, I, it... thought I didn't realize that was your question.
0: Well, that was the root question, but your answer just sort of Snickers. essentially assumed that, no, you I'm would sorry. get a little something for the other. And I think that's entirely the, the correct approach. I
1: wouldn't make it like such a token gift, though. You know what I mean? It's different. Graduation parties, we say, I was going get there in one my mind gift also. for the person you really know and get a card for the other. I wouldn't do that here. We have two who are really being honored on their birthday. They're twins. My two of my best friends are twins, and they said birthdays were always really hard because no matter what, you're sharing something with someone else all the time, and you know, and they love each other. <laughs> but, like, so I think that you don't want it to feel too different um and too much like a token gift for one and a really special gift for the other. But I think, um, I think it's okay if they are different items.
0: It's also definitely okay to even have some ideas, some suggestions that you can offer people in the spirit of that idea that a registry is there to help a guest play their role better. <laughs>
1: Just to be clear, registries are not appropriate for birthday parties.
0: <laughs> and you don't want registry information on that invitation. But if someone asks, it's okay to say little Ben is loving ballet right now. Little Jennifer is loving her soccer league. That That is appropriate information to share it will make your guest's life easier
1: just so you know in the sample script i said that um kelsey loves craft projects and books and brianna loves everything related to the new orleans saints which is why dan did not read my example script for that one that's not
0: why i chose that
1: (laughs) gosh darn patriots
0: Cassie, I also just spent a weekend with a very good friend who has twins, and I was blown away at the care and attention that having two children the same age requires. We think you are doing a phenomenal job. Good luck hosting this party.
1: A party calls for teamwork. Why, nobody will have any fun unless everyone joins in. So join in wholeheartedly in any game suggested, and you'll all have a lot more fun. Our next question is titled, but that's not my name. (laughs) Hi there. I'm married and kept my maiden name. My mother-in-law is hosting a baby shower for me for her friends and family and would like to address me in some way on the invitations that alerts people that I'm married to her son so they know why she's hosting a shower for me. She suggested hyphenating my last name with his, but I would prefer not to do that as I don't want people thinking that's what I made my last name. Is there a correct way to do this? Thanks for any help. Abby.
0: Abby, I want to give you a very clear etiquette answer to two very clear etiquette questions questions that are both contained within your question. One is that you get to choose the name that you want people to call you and address you by, and it is okay for you to tell your mother-in-law that your last name is what your last name is, in this case your maiden name, and you'd really like her to use it. That is unambiguously clear, (laughs) that is a choice that you get to make, and she should honor it. The other etiquette concern that's implicit in this question is the idea that there needs to be some sort of relationship established between you and your mother-in-law for her to be a viable host for this shower, and... That's not a requirement of etiquette. Traditionally, showers were hosted by people that weren't very close family. In fact, it was seen as sort of bad form if they did. That's certainly no longer the case. It is entirely appropriate for (laughs) family members to host showers. But quite the opposite. Traditional etiquette doesn't dictate that establishing that relationship is important to justify the hosting role. So you can really remove that concern completely. People are going to know at a shower because – the guest list usually includes pretty close friends and family the relationship between your mother-in-law and you already
1: it's also true that your your mother-in-law might just simply want to make that connection i mean it that that not not so much to prove that she has a reason to be hosting but maybe so that more people who see the card come to the party because they realize oh wait this is, you know, for her soon-to-be grandbaby. This is for her daughter-in-law. This is someone really close to our wonderful host, and we really want want to be there and support that. Her angle might actually be much more in the vein of hoping that these people will make the connection and worried that without the last names present that they won't. I'm with Dan that I think most of the people that are being invited probably knew about your wedding, probably heard a whole lot about it, And so, and some of them may have even attended and so I think that they'll remember who you are. That being said, you could use some kind of language on the invitation that says, you know, you're invited to a baby shower in honor of my daughter-in-law, Abby, last name! And that way it's really clear that this is the connection. Um, I've seen lots of different baby shower invitations. Some are fill-in cards, some are handwritten notes, uh, some are pre-printed and so so whatever you choose to do, you could find or choose to use that kind of language to help make the connection. It's also entirely possible for your mother-in-law to write a sweet little note with each invitation. So the invitation might have really standard language on it. But on the bottom of it, you can say, so excited to celebrate, you know. The, welcome uh, my granddaughter. Yeah, welcome, whichever it is, exactly. And either way, I think that that will really help establish that connection while still honoring your choices about your name. and. I'm with Dan. Stand firm on that for yourself. We hope that this helps, and have a great shower. Congratulations! Thus the... Your name here. Dory. A story
0: of refusal to admit defeat. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach out via Twitter where we're at emilypostinst or on Facebook where we're awesomeetiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Christine.
0: Good afternoon, Lizzie and Dan. I was listening to your podcast on my commute home in chilly Boston and decided to pause to give some feedback on the listener question about eating food at parties around friends who are eating more sensibly. I'm often watching what foods I partake in in an attempt to eat more balanced. In programs like Weight Watchers, it is a commonly used tip for navigating social gatherings with higher calorie foods to do as the party guest did and ask friends or guests if the food items that they have that you are eyeing is worth it. Sometimes the cupcake isn't as good as it looks, and perhaps that delicious looking brownie is the better use of your indulgence. This helps to stop you from tasting all the food that is on offer and instead focus on the treats that people are raving over or look especially good to you. Thank you for sharing your stories and advice with us each week best Christine.
1: Christine, thank you so much for that thoughtful feedback. It's always good to have more of a perspective on how these questions can come across. I had admitted when I first read that question that I thought that someone was doing a bit of food shaming, and then I realized actually no, it was the concern of the person eating the cupcake that maybe they weren't being sensitive to those you know, who were abstaining from cupcakes. And um, I like this perspective, too, that asking the question can often be a really useful way to gain information about what someone is going to choose to indulge in.
0: And in this particular instance, might even be a very specific use of a very particular language that a lot of people are taught to use as a tactic or strategy for managing their own eating habits.
1: Christine, thank you for that feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to Awesome Etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
0: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we have a couple of sections from the 1922 edition of Etiquette where Emily Post goes at it around <laughs> awkward questions of payment and the escort.
1: So these are sort of going, going out um, and these are very gendered sections. So we're really talking about men and women and their roles back in 1922 when it came to interacting publicly together. These two passages, it begins with awkward questions of payment and is followed by the escort. And they are found on pages 31 and 32 of the 1922 edition. And I chose them because, as as always, when I flip into the 1922, I somehow land on some really opinionated sections. And I just love how Emily chose to write But one of the things that really stuck out for me, especially with awkward questions of payment, is how Emily is really defining in this section the idea of who invites and who pays and of when it's okay to accept payment or offer payment. And I loved it because there was part of me that... You know, grew up hearing about this world where men always paid for women. And Emily is really painting a different picture here. She's actually painting a number of areas where, no, men should not be doing this. And, you know, women really are independent in these areas. She doesn't quite go into enough reason. I wish that we had more of her particular why. Dan and I could spend some time guessing at it after these passages are read. But I certainly wish she had given a bit more. But here we go. Awkward questions of payment. It is becoming much less customary than it used to be for a gentleman to offer to pay a lady's way. If in taking a ferry or a subway a young woman stops to buy magazines, chocolates, or other trifles, a young man accompanying her usually offers to pay for them. She quite as usually answers, Don't bother, I have it, and puts the change on the counter. It would be awkward for him to protest, and bad taste to press the point. But usually, in small matters such as a subway fare, he pays for two. If he invites her to a ball game, or to a matinee, or to tea, he naturally buys the tickets, and any refreshment which they may have. Very often it happens that a young woman and a young man who are bound for the same house party at a few hours' distance from the place where they both live... Take the same train, either by accident or by prearrangement. In this case, the young woman should pay for every item of her journey. She should not let her companion pay for her parlor car seat or for her luncheon, nor should he, when they arrive at their destination, tip the porter for carrying her bag. A gentleman who is by chance sitting next to a lady of his acquaintance on a train or boat should never think of offering to pay for her seat or for anything she may buy from the vendor. I find that pretty interesting, don't you?
0: What I find fascinating is how consistent it is, how it holds with. Our contemporary or current thinking, however different it might feel, that the onus really belongs with the host or the person who's initiating an interaction or an exchange even. If we're walking together and I turn to buy a magazine or a chocolate, then I'm probably going to pay. If you invite me to do something, all of a sudden there's this assumption that I'm inviting to pay your way and that hosting role really establishes that. But there's a real focus, a real clarity about – Whose idea it is being responsible.
1: How did we end up in this situation together? And, you know, being fairly independent woman, I really love the no, let let the woman pay. And I think that part of it had to do with the impression given if he was paying. And so that's what she leaves out of it. But I'm I'm picking up on that as the subtext here. But it really, to me, was fascinating to hear back in 1922 just how often a woman should be responsible for paying her own way and the things that she should not accept as payment, you know, or as niceties and kindnesses.
0: Here, Emily's assuming that a woman's going to be carrying some money is going to be capable of doing these things Traveling and alone. Yeah. and should be, should be prepared to cover those expenses, even the the little things like tipping for a bag, mm-hmm. but maybe for your own meal on that trip as well.
1: Absolutely. So this section is then followed by a section called the escort. And escort is in quotes. And what I really got a kick out of in this section was The idea that an escort is not appropriate, it is not the term we should be using, it is like abhorrent in Emily's view, and just what it means to actually be invited versus not invited. And you're going to really hear that at the very end of this section. So the escort begins. Notwithstanding the fact that he is met all dressed in his best store clothes with his lady friend, that's in quotes, leaning on his arm in the pages of counterfeit society novels and unauthoritative books on etiquette, there is no such actual person known to good society, at least not in New York or any great city, as an escort. He is not only unknown But he is impossible. In good society, ladies do not go about under the care of gentlemen. And that care of is again in quotes. It is unheard of for a gentleman to take a young girl alone to a dance or to dine or to parties of any description. Nor can she accept his sponsorship anywhere whatsoever. A well-behaved young girl goes to public dances only when properly chaperoned and to a private dance with her mother or else accompanied by her maid, because don't we all have those, (laughs) who waits for her the entire evening in the dressing room. How fun for the maid. It is not only improper, it is impossible for any man to take a lady to a party of any sort to which she has not been personally invited by the hostess. A lady may never be under the protection of a man anywhere. A young girl is not even taken about by her betrothed. His friends send invitations to her On his account, it is true, and if possible, he accompanies her. But correct invitations must be sent by them, meaning the friends, to her, or she should not go. Older ladies are—this is where I pay attention—are often thoughtless and say to a young man, "Bring your fiancé to see me." He answer—his answer should be. Indeed, I'd love to any time you telephone her, or I know she'd love to come if you asked her. If the lady stupidly—I per- <laughs> just love her language—if the lady stupidly persists in casually saying, "Do bring her," he must smile and say lightly, "But I can't bring her without an invitation from you." Or he merely evades the issue and then does not bring her. I just, I mean, the stickler for that invitation and the idea that women are not protected, taken, that don't, she absolutely parses out the language here, that you don't take young women anywhere, you don't. Care for them under your protection. That no, 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 no. This is not the proper way to go about it. I mean, she's really nitpicking words.
0: When the section began, I was wondering where is this going? What exactly are we talking about here? And it definitely the idea starts to emerge. I think there's also something to Emily's thinking about wanting to establish and understand relationships between yes. people, Absolutely. and it's there's a a way that that invitation. And that name on the invitation formalizes an understanding about what the relationships are between all the parties involved. This is one where I think our world has changed a bit. I think we are much more comfortable with a more fluid set of arrangements and connections between people and trusting ourselves to navigate them. But it's definitely interesting to hear where a lot of, I think, ideas that, as you said when we were talking about the last section – the subtext Mm -hmm. behind a lot of what we think is going on was very explicit and very clear.
1: Very much so. And she's really, what I love is that So one of the the things that I think I've really valued about getting to do this job and especially about everyone's reaction to the sample scripts that we, we choose to issue on the show is that people really seem to get behind the idea of choosing your words carefully and choosing your tone with those words carefully. And here Emily is saying that, you know... When you break away from all that, assumptions can get made. It's not that they are going to be made, but they can be made. That there's a big difference between taking someone out and taking someone out and and finding the right language and how that particular invitation is so key to towards then the type of language you would use to describe how these two folks are walking out publicly together is it's fascinating to me and I I really like her I can also feel her like clutching at old things you know the
0: maid must attend the dance with you like that
1: kind of stuff and and you can I, I guarantee that you know four editions from now this language is probably different in the book but I feel I feel her like going for it in these two sections
0: A little bit liberated, a little bit protective, and and both of those thoughts at play in terms of the, the, the social space she's carving out. That was an interesting exploration of the 1922 edition of Etiquette. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from LG in Ottawa. Last July, my daughter, her husband, and newborn baby were moving from an apartment into a townhouse. My husband and I were helping them move. It was a very hot day, and we arrived early at their apartment and went up to the floor to wait for them. We were sitting outside their apartment door on the floor in the hot apartment hall, already tired, with the prospect of the long day of moving ahead. Their building was one in which many of the tenants are new Canadians. Canada, and Ottawa in particular, has just welcomed many Syrian refugees in the months preceding. While we were sitting and waiting, a woman and her children walked by us to enter their apartment next door to my daughter's. She was wearing her hijab and spoke little English, and I knew from my daughter that she was a new Canadian. We excused ourselves for being on the floor near her door, and she smiled and went into her apartment. A few minutes later, she came out with a tray that contained two water glasses, a jug with water and ice in it, and set it down in front of us. We thanked her, and she smiled and went back into her apartment. A few minutes after that, she came back out and this time had a bowl with some grapes in it. This makes me teary just thinking about it all these months later. This woman and her family had just come to Canada. They had very little, and it is difficult to know what struggles she had in her life and in her journey to her new home. She saw two people who looked hot and tired, and at the most human level, I can only assume she thought, you must be thirsty, here is some water, you may be hungry, here are some grapes. Again, this is a family who had very little, and her first instinct is to share what she has with others who may need it. It is an example of the universal etiquette of showing kindness to others, LG in Ottawa. LG, thank you for this salute. It really is fundamental and heartwarming. I couldn't agree more i was feeling my emotions well up a little bit as i read your words you must be thirsty here is some water you may be hungry here are some grapes it is that human connection that is most important and that care that we show for others is inspiring thank you
1: For listening. That's our show for today. We want to thank everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media. You know, where you connect with more friends, family, and coworkers. Well, sometimes coworkers. You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by email to Awesome Etiquette, that's E T I Q U E T T E, at EmilyPost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802 858 K I N D, that's 802 858 5463. On Twitter,
0: I'm at Daniel underscore post.
1: And I am at Lizzie A Post. That's Lizzie with an IE. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please, please, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. Hopefully we have our issues fixed by the time you do. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited. By Chris Albertine and produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.